If you have your copy of God's Word, take a turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we will find our place in verses 32 through 38. Chapter 23, verses 32 through 38. Our Lord was living, living among those whom he had given breath. He was born into this world to bring a new birth for anyone who would call on him in faith. He was born into a virgin in miraculous fashion. He was received in love by his earthly father and mother. He began a public ministry around 30 years of age. He was doted on by God the Father at his baptism, rested upon by God the Spirit, and from there led into the wilderness for temptation. In that temptation, Satan threw all types of challenges at Jesus. Jesus rebuked them all with the Scriptures. From there, Jesus begins his public ministry of bringing the kingdom of heaven on earth and calling people to repentance. Jesus heals, defends, contends, mends, explains, forgives, questions, encourages, weeps, comforts, prays, and befriends in his time manifested on earth. Yet at this moment in time, the hands that ministered to the sick could not because they are nailed to the cross. No longer can the feet of Christ carry him to places to show mercy because they are fastened to the cross. No longer can he instruct the apostles because they have fled and forsaken him. So how does our Lord communicate? He communicates through the ministry of prayer. He communicates through the ministry of prayer. And through that ministry of prayer specifically proclaims forgiveness. So let us pause for a moment before we engage in this thought on forgiveness and engage the discipline of prayer. Perhaps what I spoke with you connects with you. Perhaps you are one who by reason of age or sickness you are no longer able to work actively or physically for the kingdom of God. Quite possible in days gone by you were a teacher, you were a preacher, you were a Sunday school teacher, you were an evangelist. But now you may be possibly disabled homebound, or bedridden. Yes, but you are still on the earth. Who knows, but what God is leaving you here uh, a few more years to do is to engage in the ministry of prayer and perhaps accomplish more by this than all of your past active service. And if you are tempted to think less of a prayer ministry, remember your Savior. He prayed. He prayed for others. He prayed for sinners, even in his last hour. A.W. Pink wrote that in his book where he expounds on these seven sayings of Christ from the cross. Let us not think less of the ministry of prayer. It is vital to the kingdom of God. But one of the most vital things that Christ ever said in a prayer was the words that we will look at this morning. From the cross, Christ cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So what is forgiveness? Well, I'll tell you this. The majority and the vital idea of New Testament theology is wrapped up in forgiveness. It is the blood of Jesus' atonement that yields eternal forgiveness of sins. Jesus places enormous emphasis on forgiveness. 
He places it on horizontal forgiveness. Forgiveness one to the other, man to man, woman to woman. He calls upon that. But he also explains and gives forgiveness from the cross. And because we have been redeemed, we are obligated to forgive as we have been forgiven. Today we're going to look at three points that many of us a lot of times want to avoid at all costs, and it's how we forgive. Is how we forgive. So before we start diving into my points and breaking down the, the phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, let's open our text and read from the Word of God, Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 38. It begins in this way. There are also two other criminals. There are also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. As we move into this portion of the text, we're going to look at the first saying of Christ from the cross. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them. Jesus brings a new request before the Father he, as he has never made before. Jesus had forgiven many people, but this is a remarkable moment in time. From the cross, Jesus compels his Father to forgive the sins of the very accusers, tormentors, and sinners that were choosing to take part in this crucifixion. And there is nothing so lovely and nothing so rare as Christian forgiveness. This past week, I ordered a book by Charles Spurgeon. And he has preached through the seven sayings of the cross. Some of you maybe have heard of Spurgeon. He's a well-renowned preacher. Uh, and, and he, boy, he's powerful. And so I want to share this portion of the sermon. He said this, I love this prayer. Christ's prayer from the cross for forgiveness. He said, I love this prayer also because of the indistinctness of it. The indistinctness of it. It is, Father, forgive them. He does not say, Father, forgive the soldiers who have nailed me here. He includes them. Neither does he say, Father, forgive the people who are beholding me. He means them. Neither does he say, Father, forgive sinners in ages to come who will sin against me. But he means them. Jesus does not mention them by any accusing name. Father, forgive my enemies. Father, forgive my murderers. No, there is no word of accusation upon those dear lips. Father, forgive them. And this, this just hit me. 
so powerfully as I was reading this chapter of this book. He said, now into that pronoun, them, I feel that I can crawl. Father, forgive them. Into that pronoun, I can crawl. Can you get in there? Oh, by a humble faith, appropriate the cross of Christ by trusting in it and get into that big little word, them. It seems like a chariot of mercy that has come down to earth from which a man may step and it shall bear him up to heaven. Father, forgive them. What a beautiful writing this Spurgeon gives us there. May I crawl into that pronoun. Father, forgive them. And when the unforgiving spirit is threatening to turn our hearts toward bitterness, let us turn our attention back to Christ from the cross, asking forgiveness for those who are crucifying him. Consider what Paul wrote of Christ. In Ephesians 4.32, he wrote, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. He says, Father, forgive them. And then he says, For they do not know. This is not to say those participating in the moment of crucifixion didn't know they were at a crucifixion. They knew where they were. They knew what they were participating in. They did know, but they did not know. They did know, but they did not know. What Christ is saying to the Father is that they did not recognize of whom they were crucifying. The idea that this terrible act was done in ignorance runs through the entire New Testament. Peter said to the people following Christ's death, he said this, I know that you acted in ignorance. He wrote that in Acts 3:17. Paul said that at uh, excuse me, Paul said that they crucified Jesus because they did not know him. He wrote that in Acts 13:27. And let me quote from the great Roman and Stoic saint Marcus Aurelius. He used to say to himself every morning, "Today you will meet all kinds of unpleasant people. They will hurt you and injure you." and insult you, but you cannot live like that. You know better, for you are a man in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Others may have in their hearts the unforgiving spirit. Others may sin in ignorance, but we know better. We are Christ's men and women, and we must forgive as he forgave. That's what William Barclay wrote in his commentary on the epistle of Luke. So as we look at this saying, first saying of the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They do not know what they do. All of what was done to Christ on the cross is clearly chronicled in Scripture. I mean, it's, it's right there. It's noted. But we must observe what this means. What does this mean? Well, it means this. The Pharisees were prideful and desired to have Christ crucified for blasphemy and for usurping their religious piety. Although Jesus really didn't care about their religious piety. He didn't care anything about that. He didn't care about their religion. He wanted people to come to the Father. He wanted them to have a right relationship with them. He asked for the Pharisees' forgiveness regardless of their hardened hearts. The Romans 
were blunt instruments used by the Pharisees to procure a violent ending to Christ. The Romans didn't understand any of the law or the writings of the Old Testament. They had no true knowledge of the prophetic messianic writings. They, they didn't know all these things. Yet Christ forgave them for their part in his death. We must not conclude from Christ's prayer that ignorance is a basis of forgiveness or that those who sinned against Jesus were automatically forgiven because he prayed. Certainly, both the Jews and the Romans were ignorant of the enormity of their sin, but, they, but that could not absolve them. This prayer of forgiveness offered by Christ on the cross revealed his love for the Jewish people his desire for their repentance and salvation, and his desire to give his matchless grace and mercy. That's what this reveals to us. That Christ is all about forgiveness. And through this first saying of Christ from the cross, we see Christ practicing what he taught. We see that. If you were to flip back over to Luke chapter 6 in verses 27 through 28, he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Jesus was practicing what he taught. And he was also fulfilling prophecy and making intercession for the transgressors, which is uh, an occurrence that Isaiah wrote would happen. That Christ would intercede, the Messiah would intercede for his transgressors. And he did that from the cross. Our Lord had his head pierced by the thorns of the mocking crowd. Our Lord had his hands pierced by the point of the driven nails. Our Lord had his side pierced by the blade of the thrusted spear. And he had his heart pierced by the sins of the ones he came to save. Forgiveness poured from his mouth because that was truly in his heart while blood and water flowed from his body. The Bible tells us from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And from the cross, we hear Christ crying out from his heart, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. I've got a friend of mine that served at Farmstead. He's a, he's a deacon, he was a deacon over there. Now he's an elder at the church that he's currently at. Here this past week, he had to be put in the hospital. He had had strep throat. And strep, he let it go too long, and it attacked one of the valves in his heart. And he had strep attack his heart. And he's in a hospital at Brookwood right now. I love this man. He loves the Lord. His name's Bill Palmer. Maybe you know Bill Palmer. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. Bill Palmer is a man of God. And at one time in his life, he was not. And he'll tell you that, and he's not ashamed to tell you his testimony. But I'm going to tell you something. God saved that man. But the reason why I say that is this. is his daughter Lauren and his wife Donna said that when people come to visit him, he's, they said most of the time he's, he's, you know, he's in pain. He's sick. He's hurting. But when people come by to talk to him, you know what pours out of him when they come in the room? He's talking about Jesus. 
He's talking about the Sunday school lesson. He's talking about the sermon. He's talking about Jesus. And I was talking to Ashley Harris this week. She said, I believe if you were to squeeze Bill Palmer, Jesus just comes out. And I'm telling you, I see it. And I believe when Jesus was squeezed on that cross, forgiveness came out. As we look at this scripture, there's three things that I see that should not determine our forgiveness. Three things that should not affect whether we forgive or not. Because it did not affect Jesus' willingness to forgive. The first thing we see is environment shouldn't determine forgiveness. Our environment, look at what it says there in verse 32 of chapter 23. It says there... There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Environment shouldn't determine our forgiveness. Christ's forgiveness wasn't affected by who was with him. Christ's forgiveness wasn't affected by who was with him. Jesus had two deserving criminals on either side of him. Both were truly guilty of their crimes. Today, your giving of forgiveness is not dependent on who is around you. Your forgiveness is dependent on who dwells within you. Your forgiveness is not determined by who's around you. It's determined by who dwells within you. If I dwell within me, if I sit on the throne of my heart, if you want to use that language, then I can say, do, withhold forgiveness as I please. But if Christ rules in my heart, I've got to say, I am a child of God. I'm going to be Christ-like. And what he did on the cross, I too must do. And I must forgive. And it can't be dependent on who's around me. And that's hard. I'm not telling you forgiveness is easy. Forgiveness is probably one of the hardest things to say or do toward anyone, right? Do we agree on that, that forgiveness is hard? Many of you, maybe you've been in a situation where the environment, everything around you is bad. Your environment, the culture that you've entered, your workplace, whatever it may be. And you may say, ooh, man, they said this or they did this to me. They've held me down. They've oppressed me, whatever it may be. But you say, God, I'm just going to do things as though I'm doing them unto you, doing them for you. I want to do what I'm doing with excellence regardless of my environment. And I'm going to go about what you've called me to do. You've put me here in this moment, in this place, and I'm going to glorify you in it. Jesus did that same thing. Jesus said, Lord, remember he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And while he is on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. He was going to glorify the Father, even while nailed to a cross. We should forgive as Christ forgave us. No matter who our company, we are to be a companion of forgiveness. Christ's forgiveness wasn't affected by where he was. Even in this terrible place of death, Calvary, Jesus still chose forgiveness through his circumstance. 
He still chose forgiveness. And Calvary is named after the shape of the hill as it looked like a skull. Many of you maybe have heard that before. If you've not, that's the reason why it was called Calvary. And the Greek rendering of Calvary is Golgotha. So sometimes you'll hear it referenced as Golgotha. Sometimes you'll hear it as Calvary. Just understand that's the place of the skull where they crucified Christ. Many of us would look around, and, and, and if we were looking at our own uh, surroundings of where we are, we'd look around, and we'd complain, and we'd moan about our circumstances, and we would not show forgiveness. We'd be so absorbed in what, what's happening to me that I'm not thinking about anybody else. But our location does not negate the call on our lives to forgive. It does not. So where, where are we today? Where are you today? Environment shouldn't determine your willingness to forgive. My third point is this. Injustice shouldn't determine forgiveness. Injustice shouldn't determine forgiveness. If we were to turn back just a couple of pages or maybe even a few chapters, we could see how this all came about, that Christ was on the cross. Jesus was sought out in the night. Jesus was turned over by Judas in the night. Jesus was arrested in the night. Jesus was tried, not by the order of the court, but by the disorder of men. All of Jesus' injustice came in the cover of darkness, and many injustices occur in this way. It's shifted through, it's pushed through in darkness and in the cover of night, And we wonder, how in the world did this ever come about? It came across in the shadows and in the darkness. And this is what happened to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This injustice came in the darkness of night. But injustice shouldn't determine our forgiveness. And injustice is defined in a lot of ways, both accurately and inaccurately in our world today. But the overarching point is that it does is that it is done in a manner that is only beneficial to one side without the other having true defense or representation. That's what we would call injustice. One thing that we cannot take our eyes from is that in all of Christ's injustice, he still held to forgiveness. So for us, we too cannot take our eyes off of Christ who sees our injustice yet calls for us to forgive. Jesus sees our hearts and also can see the heart of the unrepentant and unregenerate sinner. So for you and I, whether we believe we are being treated justly or unjustly, forgiveness is our path to healing. Forgiveness does not absolve someone from earthly consequences but it resolves our heart to Christ. I'm going to say that again because when I wrote that down, I thought, man, that's good. Thank you, Lord, for giving it to me. Forgiveness, forgiveness does not absolve someone from earthly consequences, but it resolves our heart to Christ. My fourth point, indifference by others shouldn't determine forgiveness. Indifference by others shouldn't determine forgiveness. Notice how the soldiers were indifferent to Christ regarding his body and his clothing. Look there in uh, verse 
verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. I know each and every one of us, well, I can't say each and every one of us, but the vast majority of us have had people say things to us and do things to us, indifferent things to us. I'm sure you probably have people do that. And it's hard to overcome that. It's hard to, to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Okay, I, I, I want to put that out there, okay? Because if you forget along with forgive, a lot of times that means that you're going to be uh, taken advantage of over and over and over again. So understand that. You don't need to forget, but you need to forgive. In forgiveness, you lose bitterness. In forgetness, in, in forgetting things, you become a fool. If I can just be flat honest with you. But if you remember and you give forgiveness, you or give forgiveness, you gain wisdom. Remember last week we, I preached on wisdom, stewarding God's wisdom as he gives it. But injustice, excuse me, indifference by others shouldn't determine forgiveness. Notice how the soldiers were indifferent to Christ regarding his body and his clothing. They saw him as nothing more than another criminal. They saw his possessions as nothing more than valuables to be gambled over. One thing I'd like to say to draw your attention to when we look at this, okay? Uh, other Gospels let us know that there were four soldiers at this time. There were four soldiers. But every Jew wore five articles of clothing. Every Jew wore five articles of clothing. They wore the inner tunic, the outer robe, the girdle, the sandals, and the turban. Four were divided among the soldiers, there remained the great outer robe. It was woven in one piece without a seam. And we can go back to John chapter 19 verses, or go forward, excuse me, not go back, but go forward. To John chapter 19 verses 34, excuse me, verses 23 and 24. It says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments it made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the Scripture may be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. We see that in John chapter 19. To have cut it up and divided it would have ruined it. And so the soldiers gambled for it in the shadow of the cross. It was nothing to them that another criminal was slowly dying in agony. And Barclay gives us that bit of information. The soldiers mocked Christ with sour wine and their words in verse 36. We see that. 
they referenced Pilate's plate of humiliation that was placed above Jesus' head as a way of mocking the Lord. Now, we know it was true. He was king of the Jews. Matter of fact, he is more than just king of the Jews. He's king of kings and lord of lords. But when Pilate made it, it was a mockery. And the soldiers used it as a mockery. So we can see how the soldiers were indifferent to Jesus. We can notice how the people were indifferent by just looking on. If you see there in verse 35, the very first sentence, and the people stood looking on. Now, we may conclude some didn't want to speak up in fear of their lives. Maybe, maybe some people didn't speak up for fear of their lives. Some, we may conclude, didn't speak up because they were confused. Some, we may conclude, didn't speak up because they had been hesitant in their determining who Jesus truly was. Maybe the Pharisees were right. Maybe he wasn't who others thought he was. So they didn't speak up. But I want us to realize that not speaking is speaking. Not speaking is speaking. When we choose not to be a voice for good or against evil, we are speaking. Today, we have people who video violence instead of speaking against it. This is another form of being indifferent by just looking on. Instead of stopping something, we see stuff happen in schools. We see stuff happen on streets. We see stuff happen everywhere. And, and the reason why we see it is because somebody videoed it and somebody didn't care to step in. And I understand in our culture today, if you step in, who knows? You may get sued. You know, you might, something may happen to you. Instead of being considered a, 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 a good Samaritan, if you will, you get punished for that kind of stuff in our society today because What's bad, they call good, and what's good, they call bad. But I want to tell you this. If we see something that we disagree with, we should speak up from the Word of God in why we disagree with it. And if we agree with it, we need to speak up from the Word of God how and why we agree with it. A silent church is a dying church. And that's why many of our churches across the country today are dying, because they're silent. They're silent with forgiveness, and they're silence in response to evil. There were many that just stood by, and the people stood looking by. But, there in verse 35, even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. God. Notice the rulers were indifferent by mocking Christ. The rulers were the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. That's the rulers that were among them. It's the Sanhedrin, if you will. They sneered, and this means they spoke scornfully. They spoke scornfully. They were basically taunting him against his miracles and power. Listen to what he said. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Save yourself, the soldiers mocked him, saying. And the rulers said, if he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The rulers were basically saying, we saw the evidence of things you did, although we don't believe you. 
but if you will do this miracle, we might believe. No, they wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe. They're hard-hearted. They weren't going to believe. They were taunting him. And these men were the rulers of the people. They were the rulers of the people taunting a man who was dying on the cross. They were sneering against a, a man dying on the cross. They had incited the crowd against Jesus in the late night and early morning trials. These were no models to follow. Yet, Jesus chose to forgive them regardless of their indifference toward him. Jesus chose to forgive them regardless of their indifference toward him. Today, you may have been in an environment where you had no desire to forgive. Maybe in the moment, you couldn't forgive. When you were in that environment, you couldn't forgive. But if you, chose, but if you choose to harbor that bitterness and resentment beyond the environment and not forgive, you're the one getting hurt, not them. You're the one getting hurt, not them. So move beyond the environment through Christ's forgiveness and love. Today, you may have been treated unjustly. And in the midst of those unjust accusations or unjust moments, forgiveness just wasn't something you could give. But again, since you are beyond them, or prayerfully you are beyond them, you need to choose forgiveness. I need to choose forgiveness. So move beyond the injustice through Christ's forgiveness and love. <clears throat> and finally, you may have experienced indifferent people who either spoke against you or didn't speak up for you. They sneered or they taunted you as those rulers did Christ while he was on the cross. They verbally or physically abused you. But listen, forgiveness is the key to unlock that vault door that has held you captive. Forgiveness is the way out of bitterness, guilt, and even hatred. And let me remind all of us of this. If anyone had the right, if anyone had the right and the opportunity to choose not to forgive because of the contentious environments, the unjust treatments, and the indifferent people, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. We, through our sin, were a part of the environment of the cross. We, through our sin, were a part of the injustice of the cross. And we, through our sin, were a part of the indifference at the cross. We were a part of it. We were there because our sin is on, was on Jesus. It was God's submission, God the Son's submission to the Father to be on that cross for us, to take our sins upon himself. We were there. The sins you have sinned, the sins you will sin, were on the cross with Christ, in Christ, and he felt the wrath of God at that moment for all of mankind. And he, when squeezed, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Today, today, you can receive the forgiveness that Jesus prayed at that cross.
The Bible tells us that Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He sits at the right hand of the Father praying. And I believe one of those prayers is that that unrepentant, unregenerate sinner will lay their life down and profess Christ as Lord and remove that bitterness and that shame and that guilt and follow after Jesus Christ. Today, maybe you've never received the forgiveness that is given through Jesus Christ. Today you can. 